Scripture lesson, Philippians 4, 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Eodia and I entreat Sintias to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together, with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will be guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. When I first came to this church two years ago, I came to this sanctuary. Pastor Walter showed me this sanctuary, and I was so stunned by the stained glass here. And I read the story behind and how much it cost, so much money in the 1950s. And the church was on a dead vote. But the leadership of a pastor that t- at the time, Shearer, uh, made this happen. So we have this over what? 70 years of this stained glass. But when you look at this stained glass, what, what comes to your mind? What do you think about it? It's beautiful. Wow, we look like a Catholic church. <laughs> what do you think about stained glass? Why we spend, uh, our ancestors spend so much money on the stained glass. I mean, I don't know all the meanings and details and symbolism there, but, you know, think about it. If church is a big puzzle, like, puzzle like stained glass, what type of puzzle piece are you in this church? There are you know, different colors, different shape, you know, big, big, or, big one, small one. And what is your role? What is your piece in this church? Because I believe church is mosaic. We're mosaic, right? Because we're all from different places, different background, so many differences. But then we all came together, become we, one church. Because only Jesus Christ. Right? And you live, yes, you live near Aparada, too. But there are many, so many other options, other churches. Why you are here in this mosaic church? 
And one of the you know, function of uh, stained glass is, you know, they believe that you know, the light comes through the, the stained glass and we, uh, the, the light is the truth. Uh, the, they believe the Sophia, the wisdom, truth. So come through the stained glass and we um, see the, uh, the message of God. So, what messages you and I, this church, proclaim to our community? Those people around you, you encounter every day. I hope, I hope... (laughs) Our neighbor can see this you know, beauty, right? From outside, you can't really see this. Right? You have to come inside. So we are the stained glass out there so people see this beauty, the message of Christ. So what is the message we proclaim? In this final chapter of Philippians, Apostle Paul urges Christians to have one heart, one same mind, because we are a mosaic church. Because we are in the Lord. And he tells us how we mosaic church to be conformed to the image of God, I mean image of Christ, without being uniformed. You know, some church you go to, then they try to make you uniform, all together, like army. But God never intended us to be uniform. We conform to the image of Christ. So, Paul mentioning how we perceive different pieces, different puzzles in church. He said, we are object of to love, long for, joy, and crown. So, we see other people in church like that. So, of course, we have to see other people through the curved perspective, right? So we see other people through God's eye, how God see, gaze that person we see, not through my eyes. And we are loved because God loves us. We are loved to God. We are from God, so we are loved we are beloved, right? So we must long for each other. We must long for each other. So we have to be anxious, you know, wait for Sunday until next time we meet each other, right? Because we are kind of minority in this society today. Christians are also minority, right? Right, I feel far better than Delaware County, but Lancaster County, far better, you know, Christian county here. But still, 
We're surrounded by so many atheists and you know, people against church. So we must long for each other. And then he said, we are joy. We are joy itself. Why? Because it is present joy. Joy now. Because we are the evidence, testimony of Jesus Christ. Right? Because you become Christian, I become Christian, we become Christian because Christ died for us. So we are the evidence of Christ died and saved us. So we are present joy. And he said we are crowned. The crown is, um, I don't know what they call, but in the ancient, uh, I mean even today, right? For the marathon, in Olympic game, the winner gets this thing, a wrist thing, right? That's crown. So Paul said, Christians are crowned because we are, we are futuristic joy. In other, in other words, we are apocalyptic joy because this joy, the future joy, manifested when Jesus returned. It's in the future, future. So we are the futuristic joy. So we are crowned. So, whatever the peace we are, we can stand firm. Stand firm means we are righteous. We are, we are, we are, we are confidently we can stand being assertive before God. Nothing to hide. Nothing wrong. We have full access to God. So we can stand before God because of that. So I told you over and over, we are under the buoyancy of grace. No longer under the gravity of sin. So people out there without Christ, they're laying down. Laying, you know, sit down. They don't stand up. They sit down and lay down, lay down, lay down. Eventually they die because they rely on the, under the gravity of sin. And second, we must be through, so that all, because of that, we can be the one same mind in the Lord. And Apostle Paul mentioned two women, Yodia and Syndicate. They're leaders in the church of Philippi. This letter goes to Philippi. And they must be in disagreement. They were in argument, fight. So Paul sending letter to them. We must be, you must be in the same mind. I mean, that's the beauty, that's the challenge of a church. We're all different pieces. So being together, that's very difficult. A lot, a lot of time we disagree. Yeah, where the piano goes, you know, how the angle of the piano should be, where the microphone stand should be, right? We argue about those things. But we shouldn't. Because the key of a being mosaic church is embrace each other. It's yielding to others. Okay, I accept your way. You do it. 
but we are not neglecting or condoning others' wrongdoings in church, who harm church, who slander other Christians, who damaging others' emotion, who destroying church, who teach false doctrines, then we have to stand, stand up and against them. Because we are self-transcending to conform to the image of Christ, not certain person. So church is, we call, yoke fellow, yoke fellow, right? We're in the Amish country, so you've seen many, you know, many Amish farmers, you know, have a, maybe two or four horses on the same yoke, so they, they you know, do tilting uh, uh, their um, farm field. So we are under the one yoke together. So we are yoke fellow. Church is. Because church, we are carried this yoke, the ministry of church together. Not only pastor, not only some leaders, not only those core group in church, but everybody share the burden, the weight of this sacred burden, ministry of church. So, the Paul said, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. We know a lot of time, oh, well, I'd rather do it by myself. It's easy. If you do it by, myself, by yourself, it's easy, right? But somehow, Jesus wants us to be church, which is a group, the group of people, bunch of people, church. So we have to go over, overcome our challenges, our differences, you know, in 2009, I was ordained as an elder. So before I, I was ordained, I didn't have this. Stall? You don't, you, I don't get this. So I was commissioned in 2007, but you don't get this. So this is a big deal for, for a pastor. So you're fully ordained and you get this. So my ordination day, you know, bishop you know, put this, you know, uh, this stall on my shoulder and you know, blessed me carry out the, you know, the ministry of church, da-da-da-da-da. Uh, I forgot uh, what, what she said. But anyway, so this is, a store is not like a, like a fashion item. It is, it is a symbol of yoke. Yoke. And, you know, a lot of people thinking maybe your congregation, you, you know, lay people saying, well, you know, only pastor have that burden, so we pay him. Right? But you know what? My intention is, my, my calling is going into the local churches wherever I invite people, delegate people, put under this yoke. So everybody, church member under this yoke. So you be participate in some kind of ministry. Right? The ministry is not always, you know, you have to know the Bible so much and, you know, teaching Bible. But, you know, 
We know some. We need somebody who really good at vacuum. You know that, right? Whenever we have a big dinner here, we, somebody has to vacuum the social hall, right? You know, we have somebody like, you know, Louise. You know, removing all the uh, wax after Christmas time. She does that, and she comes and Dennis is coming. You know, every every Monday or Tuesday they coming and clean up a pew every day. Somebody, you know, good at cooking. I know some of you are good at baking. We all need, all need that for the glory of Christ. So that's, we are so yoke fellows. Are you under the yoke, the ministry of this church? This is not, yeah, this is obligation, right? This is obligation. But this is a joy, joyful obligation. I'll put it that way. You know, it's a, it's a side story, but I wanted to be a pilot. But one day, you know, um, I couldn't become a pilot. But anyway, one of my friends, he's an engineer, and he, he kind of tried to uh, encourage me. DJ, you love fishing, right? What about you become a commercial fisherman? Would you still go out your weekend? Would you go out and fishing? No. You'd be sick of catching fish, right? It's the same thing. I'm sorry, Jim. If you become pilot, you love flying right now. But you become commercial pilot, you'll be sick of flying. Right, Jim? <laughs> You're not going to spend your weekend like flying again, right? So, anyway, but what I'm trying to say is, right, you, are, you should enjoy rejoicing for working for the Lord, taking the yoke of Christ. And Paul had that. So that's what I call this sermon series as Unchained Joy because he, Paul was in prison for three years. But then he had this overwhelming joy and sending this letter 2,000 miles away to Philippi and keep saying them, Rejoice! 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 Right? Because he had that. Joy, fundamental joy, coming from the carrying the yoke of Christ. But you know, you're always questioning, right? He says something like, pray all the time, ceaselessly. I mean, how can we pray ceaselessly, right? How can we rejoice always, right? Nowadays, with the feelings, I cannot rejoice every day, right? One day I'm happy, the other day, wow, what was that, right? Right, we cannot rejoice all the time. What are you talking about? Because we have to understand that there's a difference between happiness and rejoice. Happiness coming from external conditions or reasons. But rejoice coming from the internal condition. Who is in you? Christ in us. We were dead. Christ in us. So when we are Christ, we have Christ in us, and Christ rejoices, and we rejoice. So if somebody, somehow, some Christians do not have Christ in, us, in them, or dis- disconnected from Christ, then they will not rejoice. They only rejoice only when Philly wins, right? 
When you go to oral choice and you know, have a two scoops of ice, ice cream, you, ha- you, re- you rejoice. But you, when, when storm comes to your life, you cannot rejoice because you are disconnected from Christ. That's what, in, what he's talking about. We are rejoicing. Do you want to be happy? You pursue after happiness? Whenever the external, your external condition fit. Or you want to rejoice always because Jesus is rejoicing in you. Jesus is rejoicing in us all the time. Even though we are going through cancer. Even we lost our loved ones through certain, sudden death. Jesus rejoiced all the time because he is in the time of, uh, you know, our final victory already. We're stuck in here. Our time is stuck here. But Jesus' time is already in the victory. Final after revelation. Amen. So he's at ninth inning. Bottom of ninth. The game's over. But we are, yes, maybe uh, fifth inning. We're losing. We're losing. Badly. But Jesus is on bottom of ninth. The game's over. We won. Amen. That's why he's rejoicing. But we have to read his heart so we rejoice together for that. That's why Paul had this overwhelming joy all the time. One more thing. You know, we have to rejoice. Intentionally rejoice sometimes. You know, you know, I used to, I uh, was an associate pastor, and the senior pastor asked me, DJ, this church, you know, that's a large church, and, you know, uh, some, some, some Sunday, I know you're, you are not so uh, upbeat, you know, like happy. Uh, why don't you drink like a 220-ounce a, a cup of coffee <laughs> and come? Because we have to be up. We have to up. You know, hello, hi, hello. Yeah. Because... When we rejoice, Satan agonizes, suffers so badly, becomes so miserable. Amen. But when we agonize, when we complain, when we worry, they're rejoicing. They're having a party, <laughs> Satan. So it is the most powerful spiritual warfare is rejoicing. Yeah? Enjoy, rejoice. Be thankful. Because rejoicing means we are embracing others. So Paul said, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. See? Just even reasonableness. Reasonableness in Greek is which means ill to other people. Let other people their way. Okay. Right? Unless they're harming church, unless they're leading church to wrong direction, let them do it. That's reasonableness, and they see the Lord's at hand. Because what reasonableness? When people, you, when people, somebody, people yield to you, over to you, what do you feel? You are being accepted, right? Salvation is all about the feeling of acceptance. You are accepted, no matter what where you are, what you've done, right? That acceptance feeling is a salvation. The question is, this is a critical question. Does people in this community see First Church, that Big Stone Church, they call us Big Stone Church. That Big Stone Church, oh, they're welcoming church. 
I will be accepted there. Do they think that way? That's our sacred burden. We, if they don't, well, I don't know. What are they doing? I don't know. I don't know who, who, who goes to that church. I don't know what that church does. What is really, you know, benefit for this community? We don't know. The, the big, big stone church. We are in, pro, we are in tr- trouble. We have to change their perspective. Change the image of this big stone church. You, you, so you, you grab somebody, you know, out there, you know, any, any, you know, anybody, you know, ask, you know, what do you think about that church? Oh, that's great church. They welcomed homeless people. They used to do the great BVS, right? They have a great praise team. They have a great preaching. They have a great Sunday school. They have a great small group, right? They are really welcoming people. They're feeding the community. That's all I'm saying. We're doing it, right? But still a lot of people don't know. So, let, let me ask one question. I mean, yeah, you don't have to raise your hand. Do you have any friend, non-Christian friend, you associate with, you are your friend, or do you have any non-Christian friend? In your life, you have? Mm. Yeah, good. I mean, we are church here, but this is not church. You and I, we are church. So when you go, you're home, you are church there. So you invite somebody to your life. Maybe bring them to uh, like work out together or walk the trail together or invite to dinner together or, you know, shovel snow for your next door or, you know, helping your, you know, give a ride to your next door, you know, senior citizen to hospital. You engage with them. They, then you, church, go to them. They go to church. They come to church. They come to Christ. They come to you and they come to Christ because we are the body of Christ. Now just we are sitting here waiting for, you know, people come through that door. You are going church. Right? So, once again, you know, the antonym of faith is complaining. Because of complaining and worrying takes away our joy, our peace. Because this peace coming from when we trust in God and trusting other people. Even though, yes, they're not trustworthy. But we trust them. We believe in them. Keep trusting them. Even though they disappoint us, we're trusting them. Right? Maybe you do, do, do to your children at least. Sometimes some parents, myself too, we parents fail to trusting our children. But we trusting them like Jesus trusts us. God believes in us. So that's where peace comes from. So Paul said, do not be anxious about anything, 
because of that. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. You know, God answers every prayer, but not always yes. That's the problem. When God says no, then people, well, God doesn't answer my prayer. No, no is answer. Right? God knows better than you and me. Even though it is a reasonable supplication, sometimes God says no. I love the song today. You know, the grace is not. Apostle Paul asked for prayer over and over for his disease, but your grace is enough, right? There's a reason. There's a reason for our suffering, reason for our death, reason for our being laid off, reason for, you know, whatever the you know, trouble we're going through. We have reason for it, but we're still able to give thanks to God if we trust in God and trust in his people. So, the power of prayer is being free from myself. The power of prayer is is being free from myself. You know, God put your eye. Where's your eye? Your eye's over here. I mean, can you see yourself with your eye? I don't think so. Right? God designed us to see God only and his creation and other people, not yourself. But what we do? We're looking at God, but we keep thinking about myself, right? My problem. So what's going to be, uh, I mean, uh, lunch today? Where are we going to have a dinner tonight? You know, all, kind of, all, all about myself, myself. Uh, it's hell. That we call hell. When we look at other people, concern for other people, and looking at God, that's heaven. Amen. So the prayer is uh, releasing us from, you know, ourselves, our understanding, our heart, and our mind. That's what Paul says here. So faithful prayer is a filling the ballast tank. I told you over and over, if you serve in the Navy or, you know, you know about the ship, you know, you know that under the bottom of the ship, they have a huge tank, empty tank. They're filling either uh, the oil or, or, or water. Keep filling the uh, water there to make it heavy so it doesn't, you know, uh, tip over. So whatever the storm comes, hurricane comes, the ship will not be shaken. It will not upset. So prayer is a filling the ballast tank. Make it heavy under there. And Paul says about these things. There are many things, but actually he's aiming one thing, the life of Christ. So what is true? True is the integrity of Jesus Christ, who he believed and he lived. And honorable, it is the dignity of Jesus. It is being respected by others. But you know, all these things we apply ourselves. And what is just? Just means Simplicity of Jesus. His thinking, his emotion, his action, all same. And that the pure, it's a nobility of Jesus Christ. Without compromising. Life without compromising with the world. And the lovely. Lovely in Greek is a prosphilus. To love. Being lovely means Live to love and make other people to love, to reach to love. That's being lovely. 
and commendable, being worthy of praise. And the one last thing is excellency. Excellence. In Greek, it's areta. It is what is the manifestation, manifestation of the power, whatever that is. What is the areta of soldier? Fight, right? Good fighter, royal fighter, right? What about singer? Areta for singer. Good singing, good voice. That's areta for singer. What about salesperson, right? Sales, be nice, kind, and nice to people and sales a lot. That's areta. But what's the areta for Christian? Loving. One another. Loving. 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 Because we are all object of to love. So, do we have this areta? Of loving. This church does have this areta loving the people of this community and beyond. Right, be the worthy of praise. All this, it looks like, oh wow, that's overwhelming. How can I be like that? How can I be like Christ? Right? Give me a break. Jesus, give me a break. I can't do that. <laughs> but it is simple. I mean, yeah, it's simple, right? I told you before, the word kenosis. Kenosis means empty myself. It's all about emptying myself. When I empty myself, I deny my will. I deny myself what left. Only Jesus left. Because God already implanted the image of God. The substance, God's substance in here, everybody has that. So we have that. So we deny ourselves that only left is Jesus, the you know, image of God. So that's what Paul talking about. Then you have learned the image of God. You received and heard and seen in me that image of God. Not Paul. Paul says, mine is all rubbish, right? So it's Christ, and the peace will be with us. That's the peace we need. So, dear friends, we are Mosaic Church, right? We are Mosaic Church. And we are different pieces, but we all come together to be conformed to the image of Christ. So let us be the same mind. I mean, you and I, you know, I look very different, right? <laughs> I understand not different, but yeah, very different. Um, but we are family, right? I told you, keep, Paul keeps saying brothers, brothers, brothers. Adelphos. Adelphos means the same womb. Same womb. Who is our same womb? Jesus Christ. Because we are here because of Jesus Christ, we are born again. So we are together. We are brother and sister. We are family together because Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Jesus Christ. So we are together. So what, what should we do? Let's invite people to our life, especially those non-Christian, even those atheists or agnostic. Invite them to your life. Build a relationship with them. Build a friendship. Eventually, 
create the trust there. They trust you. That's how we bring people to Christ. Not like, hey, Tom, would you go to my church this coming Sunday? No. It's not going to happen. Even your child will come maybe once and never, never will come back. So we have to invite people to our life and embrace them. Let's embrace them. Accept their differences. What yield to what their way. And let them feel the acceptance, accepted. And then let's empower them by let the light of Christ, the truth, through the, our mosaic church, so we illumine them the other side in darkness. So your life has to rep- illumine the, the words you know, of the Bible, to illumine what you believe, and illumine it. And they see, they get to know the word of Christ. then they will know the truth, the love of Christ, the eternal life Jesus given to them. Amen.